Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the reminder with snow that you're in charge. And uh, the predictions seem to be the opposite of what they were saying, of who would have a lot and who would have little. And uh, thank you for reminding us that we cannot um, put you in a box ever and uh, how foolish it would be. And yet we ourselves um, do that at times. Because instead of living for your glory and to serve you, often we want you to glorify us and to serve us. And we have you in this little box that we think we can contain you in and use you as we need you. And uh, forgive us for that. Give us a picture of your grandeur, of your greatness, of who you are. And uh, the joy of being your children and that you're working in all things. Give everybody that hope uh, and joy in Christ today, I pray. Amen. We've been talking in this class about gospel living. Um, We've been talking about evangelizing and not, in a sense, per se, um, little tracks to use. Um, But talking about knowing our faith, knowing what we believe and beginning speaking to others and, and, and understanding what a different culture it is today than it used to be. I'm going to take a time, um, some time, to read an article from Newsweek magazine that came out in August of this year. And understanding part of the difficulty that you may have had in sharing your faith as of rec- recent times because of the different nature of the way our country looks and is and the way people think. This article, uh, it was in Newsweek, it was called, We Are All Hindus Now. What? But I think you'll see what they're saying uh, with what it's saying in the article and then how we're going to follow up. The article goes this way. America is not a Christian nation. We are, it is true, a nation founded by Christians. And according to the 2008 survey, 76% of us continue to identify as Christians. Of course, we are not Hindu or Muslim or Jewish or Wiccan nation either. A million plus Hindus live in the United States, a fraction of the billion who live on earth. But a recent poll data shows that conceptually at least, we're slowly becoming like Hindus and less like traditional Christians in ways we think about God, ourselves, each other, and eternity. The Rig Veda, the most ancient Hindu scripture, says this, Truth is one, but the sages speak of it in many names. A Hindu believes there are many paths to God. Jesus is one way, the Quran another, yoga practices a third, none is better than the other, and all are equal. And the most traditional conservative Christians have not been taught to think like this. They learn in Sunday school that their religion is true and others are false. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Pretty interesting that they would get that right. But Americans are no longer buying it. According to the 2008 Pew Forum survey, 65% of us believe that many religions can lead to eternal life including 37% of white evangelicals. 
the group most likely to believe that salvation is theirs alone. Also, the number of people who seek spiritual truth outside the church is growing. 30% of Americans call themselves spiritual, not religious. According to the 2009 Newsweek poll, up from 24% in 2005. Stephen Perthrow, the religious, a religion professor at Boston University, has long framed the American propensity for the divine Delhi cafeteria religion. Catch that phrase? The divine Delhi cafeteria religion as very much in the spirit of Hinduism. You are not picking and choosing from different religions because they're all the same, he says. It isn't about orthodoxy. It's about whatever works. If going to yoga works, great. If going to Catholic Mass works, great. If going to Catholic Mass plus yoga plus the Buddhist retreat works, that's great too. And then he goes on, and uh, excuse me, she goes on. Um, Well, that kind of survey, and we talk about the church at large, what people call Christianity, because you do a survey and you say, what religion are you? You go in the hospital, right? And you've got to put something down, right? Often, uh, you know, what are you? Right? So most people uh, will put down what their tradition is, even though they don't go to church. Or someone asks, well, what are you? Well, I guess I've got to be something. And, and, and actually what is happening, they said in the article, people say they're spiritual today. They don't take any of the things, but apparently still, I think it was 76% still say Christian. But we would know that that is Christian in name, right? And so that, that wouldn't surprise us that the culture is like that. Um, but what, what I'm going to have us think about and think about our own theology. And how many of you have hymnals today? Huh? Good. If you don't have one, you might get one. I, I think most of us have them already. But we're, we're going to be looking at one later. And uh, okay, where to go? Okay. There you go. You're getting them all. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Good work. Okay, so, so the Newsweek article was religion in America, quote-unquote, being 76% Christian, right? But now I want to take you to a survey that was done by a Christian organization, a, a, an evangelistic organization a, trying to get to Christian truth, the White Horse Inn. Um, it's done by Michael Horton, who's a professor at Westminster Seminary in California. Um, but he did, one of his, uh, the people on the program with him, did this survey with, with almost 100 people, I think it was 97 people, at a Franklin Graham, um, um, Franklin Graham Evangelism and Christian Music event in St. Louis. And um, I think, I'm not positive, but I think he, but it was done not just with people in the audience, um, but people who were working with the group, um, trying to put it on. But I, I'm not positive of that. Um, but I, I want you to, to, to listen and, and see if we can get the right answers too. <laughs> but I want you to see how this would be in a group that were not just Christianity out there, right? But they're certainly much, much closer connected to the church and in the church. So, um, because cause you would see this from the first question, how often do you attend church services? And 90% of the people attended weekly. So, you have that. Um, um, but, but then, 
This question number two is, I think, very telling of the way the broader church, not just the broad church, but how those who claim to be in the evangelical church look at Christianity in life. This is question two. And this was, do you agree or disagree? So you can think about it. Do you agree or disagree? God is like a helpful coach who is there to help us when we need him. He wants us to be happy. Now, I hope that we would all get one resounding answer that would be very loud. Okay? And would it be to agree or disagree? I hope it's disagree. Right? But of this group, 96% agreed. Okay? So, of the survey that was done with people in the church who are, you know, closely connected at least to evangelistic churches, there, 96% agreed, God is like a helpful coach who's there to help us when we need him. He wants us to be happy. Um... I'm trying to figure out what that verse is. Um, now, these, these other ones are interesting, and, and, and we don't have time to talk about them, but I think they say something of the same nature. And maybe you would agree or disagree. Sermons should be inspiring, practical, fun, and enjoyable to listen to. <laughs> agreed with that. Do you think it's important for churches to attempt to be relevant to the people there, there, to the people where the people are at? 95% agreed. Now, they went on to say, if being relevant means making things more fun and entertaining and exciting, do you think it would be okay for a church to move in that direction? 83% said fine. Um, If if you only knew, um, people who come from outside and and come visiting um, and pick a church and they see Presbyterian Church and they come here are sometimes shocked because it could be a Baptist, could be Presbyterian, but literally... On to get people's interest and attention, there will be pastors in some churches today who will ride on the stage with a Harley uh, motorcycle, dressed up in leather, and give his sermon like that today. There will be people who dress in costume of a Bible character or someone else and give a sermon because they want it to be more entertaining and relevant. And, 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 and honestly, for some of the things I've read, that's mild um, for what can go on today to draw people to be relevant, to be exciting, um, rather than get the gospel. Um, okay. Um, this was surprising, actually, to me, that it was this low. But the, it was, their answer was... Um, Okay, excuse me, let's go with this one. Um, which of the following do you think is the best summary of the gospel? Ah, now you get the list and pick one, all right? We're going to have um, um, four choices. 
Which of the following do you think is the best summary of the Christian gospel? Right? Good news. God changing me. Making a decision for Jesus. Living for God. Christ, life, death, and resurrection. Don't speak out loud and give it away. <laughs> All right. God changing me. How many think that one? Oh, we might be afraid to raise our hands. Right? That was 14%. Making a decision for Jesus was 12 Living for God was 36%. And the gospel being Christ's life, death, and resurrection was 35%. So... The gospel. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And you'll see why they get this. We should show what some of the right answers are. And 3% of the people were unsure. But. So, with the first article I read from Newsweek about... Um, um, uh, the the name Christianity, um, Christians at large, the, the the more liberal church and everything included. When I talked about that uh, from the article as being that we tend to be a divine Delhi cafeteria religion, did you understand what that was? Did you have you seen that in the broader church? I have. All right, so that didn't surprise me. Okay, but now when you come to this this religious uh, evangelical group and we're getting some of the answers we're getting, that's what's shocking, right? Uh, people who should know better. You go to 1 Corinthians 15, and I think this is where they were um, taking their answers. 1 Corinthians 15, starting 1, because uh, here Paul is, is laying out in, in, a, in, a, in a small way what the gospel is. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved. So he's saying, okay, if you're going to be saved, if you're going to stand, if you're going to be in Christ, he says this, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures now there's more to it to talk about what those events meant but those are the those are the central events of the Christian faith that lead to the gospel and salvation so you can see that the answer that was given that was right there was um Christ's life, death, and resurrection, right? So that makes sense if you, if you understand 1 Corinthians 15 in the scriptures. Now, this next question was, good people go to heaven, bad people get what they deserve. Agree or disagree? Good people go to heaven, bad people get what they do. 35% agreed. And 65% disagreed. I was surprised from some of the other answers that it was actually that high. Now, here's another question that I think goes to the root of what people were thinking about. Christianity is primarily about my personal transformation, becoming a better person. 
Christianity is primarily about my personal transformation becoming a better person. You have to think about it. Do you agree or disagree? Agree was 66%. Disagree was 32%. I hope you know that the right answer is disagree. The, the, the main thing is about glorifying God and uh, enjoying Him forever and not uh, that you would be changed to become a better person. Now, what I think part of the difficulty is, and I'm skipping over some of the questions, but number 12 is this. Have you ever heard of the doctrine of justification? Okay. Now, you might think, uh, if I ask you what justification is, okay, can you define it? Right? But, but they're not even saying that. Have you ever heard of justification? Right? And uh, um, here it is. Yes, it's mentioned frequently at my church, 17%. Yes, I sometimes hear about it, 28%. I rarely hear about it, 14%. I've never heard about it, 39%. Now, um, let us define what justification is. Hopefully you've been hearing about it a lot lately. Before the survey came out and I saw it, so that it wasn't for that. Let Let us define what justification is. Now you might really feel on the spot, right? Because of the survey and all that. Anybody try to give us a definition? First of all, before we get into justification, how does justification and the gospel fit together? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Justification is a synonym of the gospel, really. Of the good news, of what happens. It's a result, Mike. Yeah, I think probably a, a better result of receiving the gospel, trusting. Okay, who's going to try a de- definition for justification? I saw your hand earlier, Mike. I, Mike's Mike's always ready to lay his neck on the chopping block. So. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean you're the proverbial turkey, Mike, if you put your head on the <laughs> chopping block? Thank you. Thanks for giving it a try. All right. <laughs> okay, that's right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it, 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 that, that is certainly a, 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 a good part of it and, and, a, and a little summary. Yes. Let's let's try to let's try to make it a little bigger with Sandy behind you. Okay. Yeah. That's part of it and that and that that's helpful for us to think about it. Okay? Let's see if we can go any more. Mike? Declaration 
Okay. Illegal. One of the one of the ways one of the words they use in theology is forensic. What's a forensic pathologist? Yeah. It's a Cyril Wett, a real guy, or CSI, or NCIS, or, you know, they, they bring this uh, study they do of uh, pathology and dead bodies and all that stuff, and DNA and all that kind. So you're, they're, they're bringing it into the court system, they're bringing it into a legal system, right? And so, yes. Okay. Okay. The the one of the best verses that I know that talks about the process of justification, which is a way to explain the gospels in Second Corinthians five twenty one. So let's look there. And, and as we, we start looking at justification, let me let me um, let me read one more question. We'll get, everybody get the Second Corinthians five twenty one, then we'll take a little um, just a second, and I'll give you their answer. Okay. And, and here, Second Corinthians five twenty one is is one of the ways to look, and I'll unpack it in a middle. But it's I think it's a it's probably a, 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 one of the best and most succinct verses on on justification. For our sake, that is, for us humans who are sinners, He, God, made Him Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So, God takes Jesus, who is sinless. And he makes him sin because he lays those who trust in Jesus, he lays our sins upon Jesus, who is sinless. He imputes, God credits our sin to Jesus' account, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So what happens is legally, all of Jesus' perfect life, his righteousness gets imputed to our account, our account is full of righteousness. So when God looks at us, he sees perfection. And when he looked at Jesus in the cross, when he gets our sins imputed to him, he saw sin, and therefore uh, Jesus goes to hell. He, uh, he experiences God's wrath um, because of that. Okay? That's what justification is. That's the process in believing the Lord on the Lord Jesus Christ and His sacrifice that saves us. Now, we're going to talk about it a little more and what it entails, but this is the answer that, the, that the, uh, came from the survey. What do you think the doctrine of justification means? One, or A, a situation in which we try to justif- people try to justify their sinful lifestyles. That might be pretty true in a lot of people, right? <laughs> B, we need... Oh, that was 17%. Believe that. B, we need to do good works to justify ourselves before God in order to get to heaven. 26%. God justifies the ungodly by declaring them holy and righteous by faith alone. 31%. Justification is a process by which we are made holy over time. 16%. What's that the definition of? Sanctification. 
unsure, 10%. And then there's a note, 32% of those who answered correctly said in the previous question that they'd never heard of the doctor. So that you must think that some people were just guessing as they so so we have um, 31% of the people who got the answer right, but a third of them said they were just guessing, right? And so instead of being 31%, that turned the right answers down to 20%. Could be. Yes, could be. Okay. Um, this is supposed to be the church not just the group we call out there the church right but this is people around us in churches that we would say like I think I've said and I'm willing to say that that there's 12 faith groups in in uh, Concord, I think that, that's what I counted. Um, and I mean, faith groups will be a group like the Sweet Borgians over here, call themselves a new church that are that are no church because they don't believe in being saved by Christ alone. They don't believe that Jesus is divine, so he can't be holy and save you. And then they believe there's other ways, and they have a guy, Mr. Sweet Borgian, who. Uh, uh, who was the head of their group and they kind of believe in what he said so there's 12 different groups in in um, I think it was 12 I, it's close to that because it comes up and down in Concord but there's only two that I know of that believes in the biblical doctrine of justification and, and in that I think there are two things that you need you need to believe one is that you have this substitution where Jesus is our substitute. He gets our sin, he gives us, and we are his substitute, he gives us his righteousness. And along with that, we have some groups in church in our town that would believe that, but then they would be Hindu in the sense that that's only one way to heaven. Right? They would, they would be a church that has a, a historically Christian name on it, but they would say, well... But there are other ways. We're just one way. And so I, I, I think they lose the definition of being a church after that because Jesus said there is only one way. So there's only in town, I know, two groups that would believe in a biblical understanding of justification, ourselves and the new life community. Um, uh, and I've talked to most of the others, and I've been a part of a group where they've talked about what they believe. Um, well, I, I want to take us... Um, Oh, and, and this might be helpful too. Just this is their last question before we go to the to look at justification and more. Their, their answer was the question was this: um, There is no one righteous. There is no one who does good. There is no one who seeks God. Whether you agree or disagree, right? So, thirty-one percent. Now, this is the Christian group, right? I mean, this is the ones that would go to the kind of churches we understand to be churches. Thirty-one percent believe that that there is no one righteous. 67 disagreed and said, no, people are righteous. Right. Now, 2% were unsure. Let's, let's go in your hymnal. And I need a hymnal. <laughs> I forgot to get one. Thank you.
And if you look in the back of your hymnal, the Westminster Confession of Faith is there. And we're going to look at a chapter of that, of justification, so that we understand how to be saved, what is the gospel. Chapter 11. I said chapter 11, page 855. And and what I want to encourage you with here is, is when God does something, He does it right. He does it completely. He doesn't do it halfway. And, and, and one of the things I've been convicted of lately, and I hope you'll see it here in this chapter of justification, is I would certainly preach that Jesus died for us. You would hear that in usually every one of my sermons somewhere. And at the end, I'd at least tack it on so I could say I'm a gospel preacher. Jesus died for us. And... Um, and that's true, and that's part of what you'll see justification is. And so when Jesus dies for us, we are cleansed. But if he dies for us, and that's all there is, in a sense, we become like Adam and Eve in the garden. We become sinless at that point, but then we, we live the rest of our Christian lives trying to be good, to keep, keep that sinlessness. Uh, I've got to be good. I've got to be good. Because I don't want God mad at me because I'm not clean anymore. But what you're going to see in here, that the other part, that's called Jesus' passive obedience. Where he goes to the cross and he stays there. He could have called down legions of angels, but he stays there voluntarily for us. But one of the things you're going to see as we look at this is Jesus' active obedience. That you not only get cleansed, but you are proclaimed right. You receive all of the right living he did too. So that whenever God looks at you, he sees Christ's righteousness. You're never judged. As a heavenly father, he might discipline you to help straighten you out. But you're never judged not to be his because of your sin. Because you have Christ's perfect righteousness. His life, all of his living for 33 years perfectly is imputed to your account. So your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven in Christ. So, what that means is you don't wake up in the morning and saying, Oh, got to be good, got to be good, oh, oh, got to stay good. And it becomes this huge, unbelievable burden. But what it becomes is, Oh my, Jesus died for me. I am righteous. What would you have me do today, Jesus? You're so wondrous. You've cleansed me. I'm yours. I'm the Father's child. What could I do today to please you? You see how they're two radically different? And that's why this, this doctrine of justification is so important. So let's look at it. I'm going to just read through it. Well, if you can get a, a Westminster Confession, if you would ever like one with all the scriptural proofs to show how the Westminster, uh, when they got together and made this confession, put it together, we'd love to get you one. But this doesn't have it. And I'm sad to say you don't have that whole list because... Besides each of the different points, there's lots of scripture that go with it if you want to study it. But we're just going to read it through here so that we have a sense of, of how wondrous our, uh, our salvation is. What, what it is that Jesus has died for us and lived for us also. Chapter 11 of Justification, paragraph 1. Those whom God effectually calleth 
he also freely justifieth, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, nor by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience in them as their righteousness, but by imputing, by putting to their account the obedience and satisfaction of Christ unto them. They are receiving and resting on Him and His righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves, it's a gift of God. So, one of the things you're going to find out about justification here is what it says, um, what, what the real gospel message was in the book of Jonah is salvation is of the Lord. You know, that's why we worship. Not because we have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, because salvation is of the Lord. That's why we come here and rejoice, because how many, have done, how many of us have done well with our bootstraps this week? Right? We all come every week confessing our sins that our bootstraps are broken. And we keep a puller on them, but we don't get very far along often. And that we depend on Christ and His righteousness. That's why we come confessing our sins every week. Because we keep sinning. Right. That's sanctification. It's a different chapter. So we are, because we have Christ's righteousness and we desire to please Him, we, we do become different. Right? We are becoming more like Jesus, but in this lifetime it will never be perfect. That's called glorification. That's going to happen later on. So we have a desire, right? And, and hopefully all of us can look back on our Christian lives and see change of how we aren't what we used to be because we love Jesus. We have Christ's righteousness imputed to us, which is a credit. And it's saying we don't get infused and instantly good with His righteousness. We have the Holy Spirit that now gives us the heart and the desire to obey. And we, and we start doing that, but we continue to have a war with the remaining sin in us. God doesn't take the sin out. And yes. The Roman Catholic would say we're infused with this grace, and then now we need to make, take this grace and be good. So it becomes our working at it. Are you going to say something, Chris?
Dead spiritually, we have is, um, Ezekiel and Jeremiah talking about where our hearts spiritually are hearts of stone. In an effectual calling, God makes our hearts hearts of flesh, so that we call out to Jesus. That's what false. Let's look at paragraph two. Faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and His righteousness, is alone is the alone instrument of justification. Yet it is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces, and is no dead faith, but worketh by love. Number three. Any, any questions on that one? Uh, wait a minute. Yeah, all the, the rest of the, the rest of the chapters with the, the adoption, sanctification, saving faith, repentance unto life, good works, how they are fit in. Chapter three: Christ, by His obedience and death, did fully discharge the debts of all those that are justified and did make a proper, real, and full satisfaction to his Father's justice on their behalf. Yet, as much as he was given by the Father for him, and his obedience and satisfaction accepted in their stead, both freely, not for anything in them, their justification is of free grace, that both the exact justice and the rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of the sinners. So we don't have anything, as, as, some, as, as one guy, a friend of mine used to say, we, have, don't, we only have two things to offer God in our heart, sin and cholesterol. You know? That's all we have to offer God. You know? and, and we, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. It's, it's all of His free and good work. Uh, number four. God did from all eternity decree to justify the elect and Christ did in the fullness of time die for their sins and rise again for their justification nevertheless they are not justified until the Holy Spirit doth in due time actually apply Christ onto them so God before the beginning of time knows every sinner that's going to be born and those whom he's going to call to himself he, he knew you before you were ever born and knew he was going to save you but you're not actually the process doesn't go forth until he changes your heart you call upon Christ and are justified that's when it happens that's what it's saying number five God this is 
Now that you want to hear some good news. Here it is. God doth continue to forgive the sins of those that are justified. And although they can never fall from a state of justification, yet they may, by their sins, fall under God's fatherly displeasure and not have the light of His countenance restored to them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, and beg their pardon and renew their faith and repentance. So, our, our Heavenly Father, you know, if we're going to live a life rebelling against Him, He's going to put the pressure down on us because He loves us. That's why one of the most frequented and repeated scriptures in the verse comes in Hebrews where it says, um, God loves us in a Father, and a Father who loves us disciplines us. God disciplines you because He loves you, because He won't let you go. And if you notice, if you go to, I always use Walmart or Kmart, but you know, you, you can see the difference on parents who love their kids. You know, the parents that are going along, you know, with their hand on the cart, beside the cart, you know, and walking with their parents, and they look at things, and they say, can I look at that? That's fine. And if they start getting away, the parent smacks them, because they love them. But as the parents who don't love their kids, that let them climb, you know, up on the shelves and, and uh, do everything else, you know, and you think, oh, why do we have these little monsters? It's because their parents don't love them enough to discipline them, you know. And, and uh, God, God, God won't let us to go into the Kmart of the world and do that. You know, he's, he's going to, in spite of political correctness, pull down our spiritual pants and, and, uh, and take care of us because he loves us, not because he hates us. Six, the justification of believers under the Old Testament was in all these respects one and the same with the justification of the believers in the New Testament. How is Abraham saved? Abraham was saved because he took Isaac to Mount Moriah and he was ready to shove the knife down into his chest if God wanted, right? He was saved by his good works. Isn't that right? No, ever before that happened, what, what do we know about Abraham? He was justified by faith, right? And he was faith. Now, we understand it's different. It, huh? God called him and he answered. But it's bef- Now, it is before the cross, we understand that. But he was looking to the, the one whom his son Isaac would portray. He was looking to the sacrifice God would give. He was looking to the, the, to the lamb that would be provided as it was, as the horns of the, 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 the goat was caught in the thicket, you know, the ram or whatever it was, and, and given for it. So they're saved just on the other side of the cross, looking to the cross, looking to Christ's final sacrifice. Saved just as we are. Um, and that's why we refer... Uh, in part to the Old Testament Israel as the church. Right? We don't say that was just Israel. It's more than Israel. It was the church. They had Christ in promise looking forward to him. Um, now, with the first article I read, you know, remember Newsweek magazine, it says we're becoming Hindu. The church is like that because we have the. Boy, I've got to remember that phrase he used. Anybody remember it? By the Delhi, Divine Delhi Cafeteria Religion. And, uh, and that, I think that would speak. That would be discouraging, right? And if, and if you look at this 
this survey here that was done in places we would probably call churches, not just in name, but in actuality, right? They, they probably have gospel preaching going on, at least in good part during the week. We, we'd, get, we'd get frustrated. Why is it that so people know what they believe, right? But I would encourage you. Um, you might remember that Jerry Wheaton was here, Jr., uh, about six months ago. And he gave us a presentation of what's happening in the global east, uh, Asia, and uh, that direction, and the global south, um, and Africa. And what did he say was happening? The church is exploding. You know, they, they can't get enough people there to do the work to teach the pastors and to help them. You know, the God is doing his thing. Christ said uh, in Matthew um, chapter 16, for eight, eight, verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so while we are on decline in the states, while we are in the hardened, cold portion of New England, God is still doing his work in many places. But I want to encourage you, as I sat, as I sat with uh, some pastors, some evangelical pastors this week, um, one of them I've gotten to know is uh, David McAdam of the New Life Community Church. And uh, they're, they're put on different uh, musicals. I've never been to one. Maybe I'll go to Scrooge this year, but they've taken Scrooge and taken which could be some Christian principles in it and really made it a lot more Christian and it's a musical. I think they do a good job. But he said over the years there's been some people converted by it um, that God has used at least that as the next step. And he said this year was the first year that someone who had been converted years ago is, is now going uh, to Spain this year as a missionary. Um, you know, they're seeing the long-term fruit of these seeds that were planted. And, and I want to encourage you because David does what I do. He hangs out at different places. And you, you all know uh, Helen's Restaurant. It's uh, owned by a family in town, a family I think that lives out in Stowe. It's been passed down. But uh, David uh, got to know the cook in there. And, and David started doing something. I'm going to start doing it. People are busy, right? He can't talk to the cook there. He says, as he got to know him, he got to know his name, he says, I'd like to meet with you sometime. So he had breakfast with him. He made a set of time to be breakfast, and he shared the gospel. And the man came to Christ. You know, and now he's working with the other family in Helen's restaurant. You know, and I think they did. And now the family's asking, "Well, what's happening with you know?" And, and you know, and the guy lives out in Stowe, so he's not traveling in here. So David's connected to him at church out there. He's got a study Bible now. But it was because he took the time. Which most of us, you know, we're just so pressed for time. We have this list of people we should talk to, but we don't. And, um, and I just want to encourage you that as I've started passing out and having to talk to people, you know, our little brochures for ESL, I hope that you're passing it to people who could use English. But yesterday morning I went to the little Vietnamese uh, nail salon by us and talked to some of the ladies in there. And, uh, and, you know, I've never talked to them. I've been by it before. I thought, I don't know if they even know English. But because I had a little brochure and talked to them, you know, one of the ladies, Lisa, said, yeah, I'd like to come and bring my friend. Tell me about it. You know, and I hope that will lead to a gospel. But, but it's mostly because we, we just, we walk by souls. You know, we're busy. 
And uh, one of the things I realized, we don't watch lots and lots of television, but I like just to pull over and watch some television sometimes. And that's not sinful in itself, right? But I remember that when my daughter was growing up, there were so many times that I put her to bed quickly when Marg was away because I wanted to watch some television show. And I didn't read the story. Now I wish I could go back and read The King and His Seven Friends, that 45-minute book, one more time with my daughter. Right? I can't tell you one of those television shows I watched. And what would be for all of us if we chose to watch one hour, one hour less of television a week? Just one hour. Started praying for someone. And for an hour that week, or a family. Then the next hour in that week, invite them over or visit with them. And then the next week, and you only missed one hour, one week, one thing, and you started meeting with people. Can I talk to you about what's important to me? And you know, most of these times I've talked to people and I said, I'd like to, they don't say no. If you've got a relationship with them, and they might not bite on the gospel, could become converted. Well, that's God's business. So uh, I think part of the reason that New England is cold to us is because we've become cold in it, passing by those around us, not praying for them, not being willing to set that hour aside to do that. Not to make you feel guilty, but to encourage you that we could start. You know, I was so encouraged by my brother, David McAdam, because he was doing something. And it's not huge, you know, but it is huge, isn't it? Because that family is going to affect another family. It's going to affect another family. May God give us joy of our salvation. That we're justified by Christ's work. And rejoice in his love for us today. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for your continued work, that your hand is not short, that it doesn't work, your ear is not dull, that you do not hear. Um, it's more that we have become busy and uh, passing by the souls around us. It was amazing for me because I've gone by the nail salon. I'm sure 200 times at least and looked in there and said I wonder what country they're from I wonder if they know in English and then just said I want my nails done and forgot that there were souls there I started praying because we have an outreach and took some things and Lisa and her friend Sion wanted to talk and and they want to learn English and, and they didn't mind stopping And it was shocking to me, oh God. And I I think we would be shocked if we had your heart for souls. So give it to us, oh God. Because we have the joy of our salvation. Because you've commanded us to, to go and love others in your name. Would we love you and love our neighbor for Christ's sake. Amen.